Kia ora koutou. Welcome back to This Is Our Story. Thank you for joining us and welcome back to you, Briar. Kia ora. What are you doing over there? Good, good. Good, good, good. I can see that you're basking in sunshine <laughs> or at least <laughs> something about the light is just bouncing. Uh, <laughs> it's, actually, your... <laughs> it's actually pouring with rain, but the sun's just shining in as well. <laughs> well, I am trapped indoors in a well, it's always quite sunny over here and in, in warm in Brisbane, but it's uh, middle of winter, so we get a little bit cloud, bit of cloud over here today. Anyway, let's not dilly dally. Let's get straight into story time this week. Trying to avoid dragging on. I know I, I have a tendency to talk a little bit too much, but story time today is focused on the topic of church and school memories. So just kind of there are some things that we've been remembering. Uh, since we begun this podcast, and we knew that some some memories would be coming up as we as we moved through our story, things that we hadn't thought of earlier. But this is just some specific things about church life and school life, which, as we had touched on before, was so interlinked that sometimes it was really hard to tell the difference. <laughs> mm. So, Briar, you had a, a particular memory slash story you were going to share about a kind of school slash church event that we're a mm. part of. Yeah, I literally just remembered just before how we went to this. I think we only went the once, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure why we didn't go again, and I think it was through school. And, and like you were just saying, sometimes it's hard to remember the memories, whether they were school or church, because they were so closely interlinked. But we had practiced and practiced all year, and we went to this major music competition where you create a band and you go and compete against other schools i guess it was i think it was mixed actually it was yeah it was like a battle of the bands type mm -hmm. thing and i remember hearing about this thinking that it was quite cool and then for some reason someone at our school or church or something decided it might be a good idea for us for our youth band the youth band being those who played music at youth group so mm. not really a band decided it might be cool for us to enter and and play music at this event. Yeah, it was quite cool. I remember it being not that kind of heavy feeling of like a churchy vibe. It felt quite young and hip and fun. And I remember we travelled to Whangarei, which is about an hour-ish away from where we were living. And I think we camped over at this big hall, well, the church there, um, with lots of other people, sort of marae style, with mattresses on the floor. And then you'd watch all the bands compete, and then um, you were in the band, weren't you? Mm -hmm. were you yeah, it was interesting or? to say that you were talking about being hip <laughs> and cool, because <laughs> well, you know, we were so time. far away from <laughs> being it, that. We, because It felt like we were hip and cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that, the kind of music that we prepared was so different because a lot of these other bands, they were presenting original songs or maybe covers of rock songs and things. And then we came in super excited about presenting basically mm -hmm. church music. <laughs> and and we didn't get anywhere, basically. That was sort of <laughs> what happened. We didn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a cool experience. And th this is particularly in, um, important for me and my growth as a musician uh, because as at this time, I was playing drums um, a lot at church, and I, had, I was quite naturally gifted as a drummer, I think, and I was really passionate about it. But there was one particular experience which, with a particular individual in our quote-unquote band, <laughs> which kind of pushed me towards picking up a guitar for the first time. Big moment for me, picking up a guitar. <laughs> so we, we had this guy at school who... He really wanted to, when it came to this particular event, he really wanted to be involved. And we had these auditions for people to join the uh, the band. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, and so us older students who were a part of the youth band ran these auditions uh, at school for people to join the band. Mm. And we had this guy who came along and he had just been bought a guitar, an electric guitar. He's very excited about it. And so I was like, okay, you know what? go and do your audition terrible like <laughs> legit terrible could not play even a chord could not oh, strum no. it was <laughs> it was terrible and so we're like 
you know, politely say saying thanks for coming along to audition. Um, but I'm sorry, there's you know, maybe just practice a bit more and come back next time. <laughs> um, anyway, this became a massive political struggle because his mum just lost it. And well, I, I'm guessing he went home and cried to mummy. Oh, like, totally. And she came in in a fury at us as students for turning him down, but then complained to everybody, like uh, all the people in charge, the people in charge of the band. So the adult, I think we had parent volunteers and teacher volunteers or something and complained to the principal. And in the end, we were told that we had to take this guy on. And I was like, <laughs> what are we supposed to do with a guy who can't play an instrument? What was the point of doing the auditions to find? Oh my god, it's so cringy. So we went through all this whole rehearsal process, and through this whole time, he just could not play the guitar. And I mean, can you imagine playing this kind of rock song, and then all of a sudden in the background having this (laughs) (laughs) just random chords about five beats behind everybody else? Because he would play a chord, he'd learn the chord, play it. And then it would take him like 30 seconds to change to the next chord. <laughs> and as, even if you're not a musician, you understand that it just does not work. And this whole time through rehearsals, we're like, oh, my God, this is going to be a train wreck. How do we cope with this? But we couldn't do anything like no one. Basically, no one wanted to mess with this mum. And could you, we could just, you not mute his uh, guitar? <laughs> we talked about it, but then we thought it would just create too many issues. So we got to the event, right, after watching these amazing bands. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get up, and we're basically like a youth group, like a, a church band getting up. And you could tell the vibe was so different from our music. Mm. And like hundreds of people there. We're playing to hundreds of people. To, to judges, like a proper professional competition. and Quite embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. And then there's this guy just strumming random, <laughs> random chords at random times. And what I do remember, unsurprisingly, I remember the comments of the judges being, the only things I remember what they said about the music was, good drummer, perhaps the guitar was out of tune. Um, Maybe come back again next year. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why we didn't actually cringe, go back. Cringe, cringe, cringe. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that was a win for me. My first <laughs> outside re- positive review of my drumming. Um, but at that same time, I had st- I picked up a guitar b- before the event, and I just started playing around and seeing if I could figure out the songs on my own. And it turns out, hey presto, I could play guitar. And it was just kind of a real revelation that I had this kind of natural musical gifting, which has obviously stayed with me through my whole life. So in some sense, it was quite a positive experience and uh, hilarious um, <laughs> in hindsight, not at the time. No. Not hilarious at all. Well, for the rest of the band, you know, who worked really hard on, you know, the singers working on their harmonies and, you know, making sure everything was going to run smoothly to then it, for it to basically be ruined yeah yeah it was probably quite heartbreaking Mm, yeah now i know that i've just like taken over your story (laughs) but we're (laughs) going to carry on to part b of the story time talking more about some some church related memories and i've just been thinking about this recently just how big it was in church at that time through the 80s and 90s and maybe early 2000s the whole thing about demons and angels and spiritual warfare and things like that. I don't know if you remember much of this, but growing yeah. up in our home church it was such a normal thing to talk about, which mm. is wild. You know, we we battle not against flesh and blood, but of mm. powers and principalities. So I can't while. believe you, you remember that. <laughs> oh, you know, it just sticks with me forever. Uh, <laughs> and so there was always this rhetoric about fighting spiritual warfare. I don't know if you remember, like, just to talk it about this in have, youth group and in church. Yeah, but it, I feel like it came out of nowhere as if our pastors or something went to some conference or it felt very Americanized because that's, um, you know, when you watch mm. sort of American preachers, they're very, mm-hmm. you know, quite loud and proud about casting the demons. And mm. I feel yeah. like maybe they went, were, felt inspired after going to, and all, all of a sudden it was, yeah, we were casting out <laughs> demons and 
<laughs> it was it was big talk about it's it. Funny, it? If, if you're looking for demons, you'll find them. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, everybody's got their demons. Right? Yeah. It was. I have a very vivid memory of someone getting prayed for at church, and it becoming a very dramatic affair. I was quite young at the time, but some lady got up, and I think in hindsight, I was probably aware of the fact that this particular lady who had there was a bit of drama attached to her personality. And anyway, I just remember this whole thing and I remember her screaming and kind of trying to hit the pastor who was praying. And it was like, oh, holy shit, this is wild. <laughs> you just <laughs> and, sort of sat there wide-eyed. Yeah, you're supposed like, to just like the whole, the whole congregation is just sitting there watching this drama do think, unfold. Do you think the it sort of gave the pastors like an ego boost to sort of egg them on to oh. be louder and – well, you know, I mean, more, it, it, more it depends on the pastor, the... I guess. Uh, I have mm-hmm. some pastors are hugely proud of their mm. ability, you know, for healing and and casting out of demons and things like that. It really depends on on the person, I think. But definitely, in in re- Christianity, there are those who ex- mm. um, just get a lot of oh, what's the word meaning out of that, and mm. yeah, and a lot of personal drive. A lot of ambition as well. Mm. Uh, it's that kind of part of being ambitious within a Christian mm. setting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I do remember then the pastor explaining how after this had happened and then explaining that, you know, the laying on of hands was essential, but it wasn't anything. It was really awkward, actually. It wasn't anything to do with him trying to touch her as a woman. And it was he was trying to keep it appropriate, but it was all about the laying on of hands to that was kind of commanded in the Bible to help get these demons out. I was like, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very bizarre. Mm. And in terms of like this, the whole angels demons thing is connected or adjacent to this. I would have nightmares, constant nightmares uh, almost every night for about 10 years, I think just terrifying Mm. nightmares. And I think attached this kind of whole spiritual warfare thing, whenever I talked about it with people, they would connect with that too. Like I had some kind of spiritual presence with me that was creating this in my mind. I don't like, did you have anything like that happen to you? Um, I have a vague memory of having a, a really bad nightmare. And again, it was also associated with demons because the nightmare was, I actually still remember it vividly. I was laid on my bed and I got woken by the sensation of like bugs crawling all over me and spiders. And, and I remember waking up and not like just being absolutely frozen in fear. And, and I guess it was in my mind's eye. I don't know. Maybe I was half asleep, but seeing the whole room, all the walls, the ceiling just covered in crawling bugs and they were all over me. And it was just terrifying which, of mm. course, uh, that just gets related to, oh, it must be, you know, the demon's trying to get you or something <laughs> or infiltrate you. Because naturally or, demons would know. come through bugs. I mean, yeah. bugs, some bugs <laughs> are pretty evil, like cockroaches. Yeah. Definitely demons. Um, but wasn't <laughs> Demons there a, with, like, little wings. <laughs> well, yeah, but wasn't there a – there was a, a likeness. Was it a certain type of bug or a – yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember, but I remember um, it being, yeah, it must be demonic. Mm. Um, yeah, it's funny how um, how religion uses things like dreams because they're so hard to understand. We yeah. try to find meaning, and, and outside of church we do the same, obviously. But yeah. when you're in church, things that can't be explained, have they just get ascribed to something spiritual, right? It's just a an easy thing to do to explain something you don't understand mm. because yeah. we're not supposed to understand the spiritual world and we have to be, have to be connected so with it. Right. We have to be constantly connected with the spiritual world. It's expected of us, but mm-hmm. we won't understand it. It's so, yeah. such a weird thing really. Mm. And then, you know, when you're vulnerable to the brainwashing, you know, you latch on to anything like that. You're like, Oh yeah, yeah. It must be, must be demons. Mm. And, and that's just how it was in church. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember, and I don't know if this is my imagination, but I remember when I was when I was young and trying to sleep, 
knowing that nightmares were going to be there. I would try and stay awake as long as possible. But I used to every night I used to hear this ticking and there was no reason to hear this ticking. And in my mind, I attributed that ticking to some kind of benevolent good presence like an angel like this is my angel coming to protect me and then at some point some somebody i don't know who they told me that some people had they they told me that actually some people experience demons as a as a ticking sound i'm like what so what? <laughs> like it's just it was so weird like it, it, it was just sense. basically you make these things up in your mind and when you're so involved in this kind of spiritual terminology you're so open to just taking on whatever <laughs> because yeah. you can't explain it right so someone provides some kind of explanation and then all of a sudden i'm believing that, that. Be yeah it's really interesting and um to kind of move move on from that but obviously related is the whole topic of prophecy which is a was a really big thing at the same time because of these spiritual gifts is prophecy the everyone knows what prophecy is you know like the ability to see the future and this is one of the biblical gifts that's talked about in the Bible, and therefore people probably seek or sought to have this gifting in their lives because it is one of the the primo gifts from God. Mm. Um, mm. And we would have speakers who would come around and they'd have this um, great mantle of authority and expectation over them, and we would expect great things from them and um, come and do these prophecies on all these people and this became and it was a bit, quite uh, a big deal too if, if mm, you were picked out sometimes they would pick people out of the crowd to be like yep. god is saying for me to tell you this or whatever and so yep. they would prophesy it over your life and then you know it well yeah, it i don't know if like, this is my imagination but i feel like in the early days prophecy was a bit more specific like they would come up with quite specific things to say say about you whereas the long i was in church much longer than you so I have experienced this a lot, but over the years, prophecy became more and more vague. So you calling somebody out, you're saying something over them that could basically relate to about half of the yeah. people in the congregation. Yeah. Whereas one particular experience that I had uh, when I was young at this church, our home church, was a visiting speaker, and he was renowned for being a prophet or of some level, <laughs> however you gauge these things. Uh, and his prophecy was very specific over me that, I would be, I don't remember much of it, but I remember this line particularly, that I would be an expert in my field, whatever field that would, would be, that I would be an expert. And the reason why I remember this so vividly is because it became a defining mantra mm. for me and my life as I went ahead from that moment, because I believed it, of course. And also on top of that, mum and dad believed it. Mm. And so they would actually remind me of that constantly constantly that i every time i made a decision in my life about a job or going to uni whatever was that oh you know you remember that prophet he said that you were going to be an expert in your field and it became when things <laughs> start to not work out in the way that i thought they would i became quite disheartened because i just didn't understand it why well, this this is supposed to happen to me in this way i'm supposed to be an expert by the way still not an expert <laughs> in a field i mean what is my field that's a good mm. question <laughs> you said that you had prophecy as well yeah and i can't really remember much apart from that i was going to be an entrepreneur and same as you mum and dad constantly reminded me about it but i can't say that i've been how many things have you sold? Although you do use <laughs> yeah. Facebook Marketplace quite a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's what they meant. <laughs> I'm Reselling your real horsey yeah. gear on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Fulfilled the prophecy. <laughs> but, yeah, that was all I really remember from it. Um, and, yeah, nothing really came of that, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry lord to disappoint you for not being an expert <laughs> mm, yeah no it's very interesting how that worked out but i think some of these spiritual gifting type things have fallen a bit out of fashion with the quote-unquote modern church uh, because i think probably society has become more cynical about these types of things and i think overall we believe we, we question a lot more than we used to not just in religion, just in general, right? We just don't believe things as easily. And we are less likely to just 
jump on some kind of it's, it feels a little bit train. Uh, it feels a little witchcrafty too. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking weird too. Like, <laughs> I would read, I would read books. I don't know if you remember this, but um, was it Frank Peretti? Like he he had this whole series about literal angels and demons fighting it out in this like literal warfare. That was his was kind of like Christian fantasy, uh, and these these books were massively popular in in Christian fiction. Um, and they came out, I think, 90s, early 2000s. And I was fully into that stuff and uh, fully pulled into that. I liked it because it was exciting. And it is exciting to think about these these forces fighting for you in a kind of different realm, right? It's hard not to get pulled in by that mm. and to kind of fit it into our human understanding. Another thing was like end times, Yes. Yeah, that was about the yeah, same time. We were obsessed with like apocalypse, mm. the apocalypse and the end times. You know, there was a, another series that was a book series. Uh, what was it called? Oh. But I, I got really excited about that too. It was just about the end times and the people who were who were left behind. Was it left oh, behind? Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yes. Jesus. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to get really into that. There <laughs> <laughs> was even a movie made about it. Um, <laughs> yes. TV series. Anyway, very if you if you want to look that up, very entertaining because there was an old movie made back in the seventies or eighties on the left behind being left behind. It's this whole idea that all the Christians at the in the end of times they get taken up to heaven and then everybody else is left behind. It's based on the Book of Revelation. Uh, in the and Bible. I do remember like whole sermons being dedicated to to this, you know, and mm. being made to feel. Like almost guilt tripping you into being a better person so that you wouldn't be the one left behind. Left behind, yeah. yeah so like very strong tenet of Christianity at that time, again, has fallen out of fashion. And I would say most people in church these days, they focus on more of a New Testament kind of gospel type theology. And they kind of skip over the, the end of time stuff because it's too weird. <laughs> it's too hard to understand. Yeah. Um, and because most people just just don't really want to take mm. that on board it's yeah it's just some weird shit <laughs> and, and people used to talk about it um you know like the end is near like it's in our lifetime oh are yeah you're gonna be totally. left behind yeah probably our generation are probably the last ones who took that seriously mm. I, I would i don't think i've really seen it in younger generations where they've had this these no. Uh, proclivities to talking about the apocalypse uh, maybe just like more climate related apocalypse uh, yeah. apocalyptic scenarios as opposed to religious end of times mm. yeah anyway i mean these are all very interesting topics but not <laughs> not the main topic of this podcast as per usual <laughs> we've jumped down got, a rabbit hole and taken a few tunnels, got carried away there <laughs> which is kind of well, what this is all about though isn't it but to jump back into our autobiographical story uh this this episode is supposed to focus more on your story briar so the last episode we talked a lot about my first year out of home away from home and going to uni etc and i guess now is the time to swivel the camera or the microphone so to speak back to you mm. and just kind of talk a bit about what you did what life was like after i left because it was mm. like you became a an only child in, in many respects yeah and I mean I was probably at home on my own I don't know must have maybe been two years like maybe you'd been gone two years before I left mm, I can't remember that sounds about right yep. yeah I was 17 I think when I left home um and I moved down to Wellington which is a really big deal um for someone uh, from a, a sheltered small town and upbringing to go to the Big Smoke, which was about 12 hours, for those who don't know, from the far north to Wellington's about a 12-hour drive. So it was it was a long way away. And I remember when I moved down there for study, mum and dad took me down there. They So I went to nanny school nanny college so, like just to pause there for a moment like what was it mm. that led you to that decision because I, like I wasn't around it mm. was quite a surprise for me at the time to hear that you'd done this because I had no idea that was the direction that you were going mm. in 
well, so I always knew I wanted to work with kids. That was just a given from a very young age of, I was going to say really into kids, but that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, know, you can say that, I, I can't. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I knew it was going to be uh, childcare, and actually I assumed I would have gone to the same uni as you did to do early childhood education, you know, like my Bachelor of Teaching, which is what you did, but you did primary, didn't you? Mm. I always wanted to do early childhood, but because of what we talked about before about the school system we did, the curriculum, I did not feel prepared at all to go to uni. And I I just didn't give me the confidence at all. And, you know, for someone like yourself, who's quite academic and you struggled too, I think it would have been worse for me because I just wasn't academically minded at all. So I was like, what are my other options? And at the time in Wellington, they were offering this course. Um, it was only a six-month course, but it was quite intensive. Um, where you best? How, how did you find it? Um, so you didn't have in- we didn't have internet or anything. Well, did we? Because in the last year that I was uh, at, we got a, a laptop for Mum because mm. she was studying. So I feel like we may have. And you also, I think, if I remember this correctly, you were doing more school stuff at home. Is that right? Because you, well, you left year the school. school. Yeah, because there were some changes. Actually, it's not something we've talked about, but in the last year of school, I think it was after you'd left, but the school, uh, I don't know what happened. They Changed couldn't afford hands. to, yeah, yeah, maybe they couldn't afford to. I, I can't remember the circumstances anyway. They changed the curriculum to a quote unquote secular curriculum and. Lots of families, not just our parents, did not agree with it at all. And given that it was my last year in school, I was behind in a couple of subjects. So I'd finished everything apart from, I think it was just maths and English. So I spent my last year homeschooling with another family friend of ours who was younger than me, but she was very good at maths. So she actually helped me immensely. And it was just like, treading through mud I really struggled that last year trying to get through my algebra just to get the I think I only got like the minimum requirement which was school c I think mm. I don't know what you refer to it as but that was enough for me to go to nanny college in Wellington where you're trained to be a nanny it's quite intensive you live with a family and then you go in one day a week to do the course stuff but, you know, like we learned first aid and we learned how to look after kids and educate them, etc. So, yeah, I moved down there. I moved in with a family who actually I'm still in touch with today, which is crazy because this was 2005, I think it was. Yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, January 2005. Anyway, so I have memories of mum and dad coming down and meeting the family and they moved me into their house, which was a tiny little single bed in an office so I had to share my bedroom with their <coughs> office and their landline lovely lovely family but yeah once I'd done the course they really wanted me to stay and I would have I probably would have I really liked working for them but it was so lonely down in Wellington I didn't know anybody and I used to on the weekends when I wasn't looking after the kids I just needed to get out because because I was in the office, like I remember on a Saturday morning, you know, the phone would ring or they'd be like, knock, knock, like when I'm still in bed, can I just use the computer for a bit? <laughs> and it was just an invasion of my privacy. So I, I would get up. It um, was in the hut, right? In, in Lower Hut? Yeah, Lower Hut. And I used to get up on a Sunday morning and somehow I'd found this church. I can't remember how I'd found it or maybe mum and dad found it for me. But That sounds more realistic. <laughs> Well, being 17, I wasn't even an adult. It's, when you think about it, it's quite young to move out of home and expect to be adulting. Anyway, so I'd go to this church, and it was a huge church, one of these massive ones where you just get totally lost in the congregation. And, you know, they were friendly. They'd sort of um, greet you at the door and, so, you know, recognize that you're new. But I didn't make any friends there. And um, straight after church, I'd go to the mall I would get a butter chicken curry and I would go and watch a movie and that was what I used to do every single Sunday for six months because I was so lonely 
And ha- having lived in having lived in Wellington, um, I can kind of imagine that because especially where you were living in the hut, well, what's colloquially called the hut, the yes. hut valley, uh, is a little bit more removed from the CBD area, which is where more people will go. And I think yes. unless you know people there, Wellington can be really difficult yes. to navigate. Not physically navigate, but just to kind of fit in. Mm. Um, it's a small city, yeah. and but when you came from a country town, it feels you know, massive. Yeah. yeah, and even like navigating the train system, I'd never been, you know, had, never had to catch a train before, and I had to. Well, commute. just public transport. <laughs> yeah, no public well, transport in Kitigiri. Yeah, so I was having to, you know, on my course days, I was having to get on the train into the city, which was. I don't know, is it like 20-ish minutes, 20, 30 minutes yeah. into, into the city? And then I had to walk from there quite far into the city and go to my course. And the, and the girls on my course were really lovely, but again, I, ne- I didn't connect with them because... Well, it was only one day. How many days a week was it? Well, it was one day a week. Yeah, one, yeah, one or two days a not week. Not really enough time to kind of make nah, friends. not really. And um, not only that, I was used to having hand-picked friends, you know, in a Christian circle and this was my first experience out of home, so I didn't really know how to socialize with people that weren't Christian or into the same thing. So I just didn't really connect with anybody there. Um, you know, they were talking to me about going out and getting drunk and sleeping with so-and-so, and I was just like a deer in headlights. I didn't know how to relate. Well, I couldn't relate to them. So, yeah, they, those six months kind of flew by. I did end up hanging out with so the mum of the family, we actually got on quite well. She was quite a bit older than me, but we got on quite well. And her sister, who was younger, again, who was quite a bit older than me, we used to hang out with the kids that she nannied. And she was probably a lifesaver, really, because without her, I'd, I don't know, I might have even have pulled out the course. It was just deep, deep loneliness. It was awful, mm. horrible time. And also on top of that, you know, Wellington, again, for those who don't know, is a cold place. It can just make pretty miserable really, yeah it, it can make kind of really heightens that sense of loneliness yes, absolutely so you know there were times where it would just be so cold and wet you know you didn't want to go outside so you didn't you know go meet people and anyway so after those six months I said oh actually so when I first moved in there mum and dad particularly mum had spoken to the the family the parents and said basically they made them babysit me basically and was like this is our rules she's not allowed boys in her room um, really I didn't yeah. know this yeah it's seriously <laughs> embarrassing and even yeah. so the mum of the family said to me like this is really weird but she told me to like <laughs> you know I'm glad that she told me that because we we ended up being quite close and I was like oh that's weird like I'm an adult now I've left home mm. <laughs> But yet there was these strict rules still. Even though I wasn't living in our parents' house, there were still rules. Did you drink at all? Nah, didn't drink. But I was seeing someone um, who I met through you, Mm. um, I don't know, maybe the year before, when Mm -hmm. one of your friends that you'd brought up with you from Tauranga one year and had set me up with. So we were kind of (laughs) loosely dating, which is weird. By by setting up, it was like... It just kind of happens. <laughs> no, he was he was there and you were there. No, I didn't you, like it. You and your partner at the time deliberately set me up. Don't tell me it was an accident. You <laughs> deliberately set us up to go on a date because I remember the date. Anyway, this guy was 10 years older than me, and which is weird that we were dating because he lived in Tauranga. I lived up north, and then I moved to Wellington. So <laughs> it was very long dif- uh, long distance. But anyway, he used to come visit me in in Wellington, and because I was staying with this family in a tiny little office, you know, embarrassingly, the mum of the family was like, "Oh, just remember, you you got to leave your door open," and you know, she was only <laughs> doing what she was told, basically, because yeah. you don't argue with with our mum. <laughs> um, so we used to go out and spend the whole day out and. Probably do things that we shouldn't have been doing, um, Ooh, but mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> have not heard any of this before. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's probably not for for the podcast. But we, um, you know, I was I just moved out of home, and 
I didn't want those tight rules all the time. I wanted to feel I mean, free. Who does? <laughs> yeah, but like you know, when you move home and you're finally like, oh, the you know, not right there, your parents. You kind of want to, you know, feel that freedom. And so yeah, that was sort of my time there. And then wait, wait, at that I, time though, like, because you obviously went there to study, but were you looking ahead in terms of your work prospects? Because I mean, New Zealand, you wouldn't naturally think of it as a place where you might start a career as a as a nanny well actually at that time in wellington it was quite popular probably because that's where the um the nanny school was so lots of families you know every six months they would get a new nanny that they would sort of like a host family um sometimes the nanny would stay on other times not and to begin with i thought that i would just stay in wellington and and work as a nanny but after the six months there and feeling really lonely and depressed, I sort of didn't know really where to go. And I, I, I chose Tauranga because that's where you were. And I was like, I know people there because. And this guy and, was there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because of the time that I'd spent in Tauranga when we'd come to visit you, um, I had sort of made a few friends there and I'd been to your church there. And so it just felt like that was the place to go. So. I moved to Tauranga. Um, so did you, you didn't have work set up there though, right? I, yeah, I was working in a, or maybe not to begin with, but I definitely went into a, not as a nanny, I worked in a daycare or several different daycares actually. And that's, I think I was relieving because that's the only work I could get at the time. Mm. And I was young. I was, you know, I didn't have the, teaching degree or bachelor of teaching that you would need to be like a qualified teacher to work in a daycare but it was a job and I was much happier there in Tauranga than I was in Wellington so but like how how did it feel for you because obviously a lot of different new things happening at the same time and while you had started this new relationship you were doing it by distance so it was very different feeling so now you were all of a sudden in Tauranga in the same place and also I was there as well. So it was kind of like mm-hmm. a little piece of home, but also a piece of something mm. completely new. Well, yeah, it was weird because I guess when I first moved up, I moved in with you. Was it? That was the first place I think home. Really? Um, mm. I think I so. Or maybe I'd been somewhere else. I don't know. I, I, I had a few different flats and flatmates, and I was spending a lot of time with my boyfriend at the time. Because um, I remember personally finding that really weird. Yeah. Because um, we, you and I, we weren't close at no. all at this time. We didn't spend a lot yeah. of time to, with each other. But then again, you were dating this guy who was kind of one of my friends. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't remember. I don't have many memories of that time, but, but I do remember the awkwardness. Yeah, we didn't um, stay together that long after that. So basically, what happened was, I. I think I used to stay at his flat like there was a guy's flat and I must have just slept on the couch or something and one morning I got up to wake him up it was really late and I was like come on can we get up and do something and he threatened to hit me and I just walked out and the other guys in the flat took me out for a drive to that day and was like that's disgusting you shouldn't have done that and I was really immature and I must have I told mum and dad, and this is so embarrassing. They wrote a letter <laughs> and and sent it to him oh, like, Jesus. via post. I have the vaguest memories of this. Um, and I can't remember exactly what it said. I don't think I got to read it. My well, the guy that I'd left, he told me, "Oh, your parents sent me a a letter." <laughs> but yeah, it was basically saying don't go near our daughter again mm. you know blah 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 and that was humiliating for me i'm like really sorry really, yeah. i mean like you can kind of admire the the you know the fact Jumping. that they're obviously look <laughs> yeah <laughs> obviously well, they, yes, they want to but... do their best for you obviously uh, as some a young adult trying to solve your own problems yeah and um, I, I had i honestly didn't know they were going to do it and I was quite surprised when he told me that they'd sent a letter because I thought I'd already dealt with it. I'd broken up with him. But he was – it was quite intense 
anyway. Like he was 10 years older than me. I was, I don't know, 17. So he must have been 27. So he was wanting to like get married and have kids and stuff. And I was like, whoa, like I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm not your girl. <laughs> like I've got to move on from, from this. Yeah. So, Well, I think um, like this is where you were different from me because I didn't know what I was doing in relationships, but you seem to navigate this part of life more easily than I did because regardless of how naive you thought you were, you at, at the same time you were still strong enough to kind of deal with that shit and move past it and you knew when it was time to say break up i couldn't break up <laughs> i didn't know how to it was it was but too it's much not pressure like I, it's not like i had experienced that before it was just kind of a i knew that he shouldn't have been even threatening to hit me so i was just like that's it we're done <laughs> like i was quite cutthroat and i don't i don't remember being caught up on him or anything you know I just kind of moved on from from that mm. there's no I think he found it harder than I did I was just like no <laughs> I <laughs> so um, like so how how old did you find uh kind of fitting into the church life because this and I think this is probably where I there was probably a bit of resentment on my part because I'd gone to this place this new city and I'd started a new life from scratch and mm. I didn't want to have anything to do with home. Mm. And then all of a sudden you were there I, in my I space the boat. <laughs> and you, I think, I don't know if you even, you were trying to, but I felt that there was an expectation from you that you would just be able to fit into my life again. Um, and I know, I know from, from, from memory, I, I did resent that and I didn't really want anything to do with you. Well, we still didn't really hang out or anything. Like I would go to to your church and you wouldn't really speak to me or anything so yeah. it wasn't like you were just another person there I I remember going to your church and I had like I said knew a few people um from previous interactions but it still was quite a lonely time when you first you know go to a place and you're trying to make connections and 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 that church was quite different to what I was used to as well it was very um, compared to the church we grew up in, very modern and like the band was really cool and there was lots of good looking people and it just felt like I didn't really fit in anywhere because I wasn't cool enough, I wasn't pretty enough and that's what that church felt like. And even like the, what what we used to call cell groups and for people who <laughs> don't know what a cell group is, it's basically people coming together outside of church time to connect with others, to pray, to to talk things through, more um, like a like a devotional group almost. Yeah, um, more based on it, that smaller community model. And someone would run the group and and talk, I guess, kind of like a mini sermon in a way. Um, but it was a lot more intimate, and so you could talk. So that's, I guess, where I met more people, and then I ended up moving to different through a different bunch of flats with some girls and it didn't always work out but yeah I moved quite a bit actually in the time that I was there um, I think like in terms of church life I think at this this was just my impression but it felt like you were just going through the motions of it well I was aspiring to be as involved as possible like mm. I decided to make this my life um, and to commit 100% to being in the music team, being in youth, like being a leader and all those type of things. See, I didn't you have just those attended. aspirations. Yeah. And you, I, I mean, I, I think I probably viewed this as a negative thing at the time, that I was ambitious. And I that's a very strong trait, personality trait of, mm. of myself, that I recognize that I am ambitious. And that's where and we're very I different. I strive. Too. And mm. it's just funny how I've applied – I applied that. I didn't. I wouldn't recognize it as an ambition at the time because people in church are not supposed to be ambitious mm. um, because it's all about the community and it's all about bringing glory to God. But I know that I was ambitious, and so I was going hard trying to push myself to be the best. Um, only in hindsight can I identify that. But Whereas for sure, I was, I was just trying to fit in and find yeah, my feet. So I, I felt a bit, yeah. And that's that's who I was to a follower, mm. and I didn't know. I didn't know sort of who I was or where I should be or what I should be doing. So mm. I, yeah, like you say, I was literally just rocking up and, and this is again, just how we were brought up. Like you were just expected to attend church, whether you wanted to or not, you just had to be there every Sunday and, 
you know, read your Bible and do this and do that. Um, so I guess I just kind of carried on with that, um, thinking that maybe the connection would come. Mm. I don't know. Did you uh, visit home much? As we covered in the last episode, I know that I didn't only a couple of times, but I, did you go home? I really don't remember going home at all. I know mum and dad came down to visit, but I can't remember going back because I only had a little car, which wouldn't have. So I remember you drove. I didn't drive, right? Yeah. And, and But you got your license before I did, which I was very well, jealous of. I, I had my <laughs> license before I even left home. So I was 16-ish when I got my full license. No, I had my restricted, which meant I could take a fully licensed driver in the front, but otherwise you had to be on your own. Mm. Yeah, I didn't get my full license till I was in Tauranga, actually. Mm. Yeah, so. So at, at what point did you meet your future partner to be? Because this was around about this kind of time, right? Yes. So, so my first boyfriend, I think we must have only been together maybe eight months, like not even that long. And where he was living at the time, it was a, a Which guy is incidentally flat. where I lived. I lived in that flat yeah, with all those guys. I, and so was I found at the same time there? I don't for know. For the first guy, no. Um, I moved in after that. Mm. Um, but then... For the, you were just going through the flatmates. <laughs> no. So yeah, I met this other guy who. Um, I'm actually, you know what? I just remembered. I moved into his room downstairs. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was after yeah. then. Yeah, because I don't remember ever seeing you there. But they were all all like a nice bunch of guys, and I'd hung out there quite a bit because often on a Sunday after church, you know, it was sort of. You know, you'd all get together with your mates and you'd bring hot chips around and <laughs> and chicken and coleslaw and buns and you'd mm-hmm. hang out together and watch movies or whatever. So I knew this other guy um, through those sort of interactions. And when I broke up with my first boyfriend, he was he was there. He was a really nice guy. <laughs> I don't Funny how that, that happens. <laughs> I don't mean that like I just fell into his arms. It was like I enjoyed his company and we, I think, had a lot more in common than my first boyfriend and we just sort of clicked and then from then because it wasn't long after right no and it was super awkward because my ex lived upstairs and then (laughs) this guy lived downstairs it was super awkward but luckily because his room was in the basement um I didn't have to go upstairs and see this other guy because that was that's probably quite cruel but yeah I yeah we just spent all our time together pretty much would go out adventuring and because he, he was also someone that he, he attended church but wasn't really involved no. super involved and so in that sense I didn't really see you guys a lot because mm. you would come to the service but then go off and do things yeah. and you were kind of like on the edge of the the friendship circle yeah yeah and I, I don't really remember too much of those early days but I just know that we just spent like every moment together mostly because I didn't have friends really more acquaintances through the church and I never really felt super connected to any of the people in that church and then at some point I can't remember when or maybe you want to pan the <laughs> the camera so to speak over to you and talk about that same time with you and your relationship because I I moved in with you and your partner so maybe you mm, want yeah, yeah. Because I think probably in our next episode we're going to focus – this might be perfect time to kind of draw this particular episode to a close because our next episode will be focusing more on relationships, both of our relationships, which became a, a massively defining part of our 20s alongside all the other church stuff and and work stuff. That Those kind of things were almost like sideshows to the relationships stuff that we were going through at that time. Um, so probably best to focus on that. Um, as a a topic in itself mm-hmm. but just it like to kind of wind up this particular one um in terms of like looking back now your life in Tauranga at that stage do you think that you were happy to have moved there because I know that I was super when I left I was super excited to get out into the world it wasn't a big world in New Zealand or Tauranga for that matter but I had always been obsessed with leaving whereas I guess you had just left because it was one of those things that you had to do Mm. but 
how did you feel about being in Tauranga itself? Oh, I was much happier in, happier in Tauranga than I was in Wellington. It was such a contrast. And I loved being, you know, like the the lifestyle in Tauranga is quite different because it's by the beach, lots of socializing happening. Although I didn't <clears throat> really have friends, I used to hang out and, you know, with groups of people and they're all friendly, just not my friends. You know, we used to go hang out at the beach and have picnics there and go walk up the mountain. I just loved that lifestyle a lot more than I did in Wellington. But, you know, the loneliness was still there because I still hadn't really connected apart from my partner, hadn't really connected with anyone. So it wasn't like it was, you know, it still had its blemishes, but I was still much happier there than I was in Wellington. Mm. I think, do you think from this period of time, though, that there are things that you've, just if we can just like reflect on how, I mean, we've, we were touching on this offline, just about who we are now. Do you think there, or what What do you think would have been a key thing that you took away from those early years and in, in in Tauranga away from home that perhaps might have stuck with you over the years? Oh, <laughs> I think I learned to be resilient, to be honest. A lot of, I mean, it's probably like this for any young adult moving out of home, but just learning how to navigate life and meeting new people and having, being let down by people and you're navigating that on your own, you know, in your own head. You know, you don't have anyone there to support and guide you through those those times. So I think that's probably a time where I really learnt about being strong, and mm. and that's something probably that's sort of stuck with me. Even though I wouldn't say I was confident, I think I was strong. Mm-hmm. Probably and stronger probably, than me, to be honest, because I think you were more as independent as I thought I was, somehow I jumped straight into a situation where I was in a relationship where I became the dependent, mm. even though I didn't want to be, mm. it just happened. And then I became stuck in that situation for quite a long time. Whereas you weren't. And um, I think probably more a reflection on my personality. Uh, you know, even in growing up in those early years, I was quite a stubborn, determined person who wanted her own way, you know, and that probably... Mm-hmm served me well in a way like those traits although you learn to manage them a bit better as you get older I think those traits probably helped me in those those early 20s um, when I'd left home Mm, yeah okay well I think we'll probably we'll call it a wrap for now but then in the the next couple of episodes we're going to be focusing uh, probably possibly in separate episodes or over two episodes on my relationship journey, as I very briefly touched on in the last episode, and then also touching on Briar's uh, relationship journey, which, as we just mentioned, were very key factors in kind of the direction that we headed off and, and kind of affected like the next 10 years of our lives. Mm. Uh, mm. So, so a lot of stuff to unpack there, but very interesting things to come. Uh, so stick out stick well stick around for those and uh, join us again next time on this is our story so yeah thanks for joining us and we will talk to you again we'll talk at you (laughs) talk at to at you very soon so yeah thanks and see you again